sit around at home, sit around at home, stare at the walls, stare at each other, and wait till we die, stare at each other, wait till we die, probably come to die in this town, live here my whole life, there's kerosene around, something to do,
$137, right? Right. Okay, well, my value, my portfolio value has just gone up by $137. You see, um, I have $137 yeah. in liquid assets um, now that I didn't have five minutes ago. Well, you see, but that's that's my money. That's that's my money. That's not your money. See, I need mm-hmm. $137 for my wife's birthday party. Oh, you see, if you need some money for your wife's birthday, yeah. I can now put my funds to use huh? by lending this money to you no. with interest so that no. the principal goes out and uh, will uh, come back eventually very, very soon no, you see, with a certain amount of uh, interest that is paid upon that principal amount, uh, which uh, you will also give to me wait, within 24 hours. But, but you see, that was that was my money. Uh, I, I gave it to you. And I keep that money working for the economy by lending it to you but, for one day, 24 hours, um, at 116% interest. Yes, but you see that... 116% interest? That is based on the prime rate as set by the national uh, federal government. Okay, that, that, that's absurd. That's nothing like the prime lending. I can't, I can't pay that kind of money back in one day. Then we come to another part of the entire fiduciary system, and that is the collection portion. Collection? I have a collection agent. Hey, Louie, come here. Oh this my. is Louie. Uh. He's going to make sure that you pay it back <laughs> on time and with the right amount. Hi, Louie. Uh, listen, um, could we get away from the whole lending portion of the economic thing and let's talk about some other ways uh, to make money sure. legitimately, oh, yeah. possibly? Sure, no problem. Uh, of course, there's always the insurance business. I happen to be a licensed and bonded insurance salesman, uh-huh. and I can sell you the kind of insurance that you need. Well, I'm actually uh, full up on insurance. I've got all the kinds of insurance that Gee, I... Gee, this is a real nice place you got here. Sure hate to see anything bad happen to him. <laughs> Something bad. <laughs> we'll be back after this. People just like you talk about their skin irritations. I have this skin rash. It really gets bad when it gets hot and my shorts ride up. It's a real bad itching, burning sensation. Right where you don't want a real bad itching, burning sensation. I was going to my afternoon tea when this terrible itch started up. It was like there were fire ants in my bloomers. It started between my toes and it worked its way up to my knees. 
before I knew it, my stomach was red, my chest was red, even my neck was red. Man, that itch. That terrible, itching, burning sensation. You may think there's nothing you can do about it. That's where you're wrong. Purple Planet introduces this three-volume audio cassette collection of people talking about their own terrible, itching, burning sensations. Once you listen to them talk, you'll realize you're not so bad off after all. Ninety percent of my skin turned bright red, then flaked off. Felt like the Dallas cheerleaders were going all over my body with belt sanders. Feel better? Purple Planet Terrible Itching Burning Complainers. Wherever fine recordings are sold. Also available in Disco Mix. Is it out? Is it out? Okay. Oh, wait. We're back on. We're back on. Oh, hi, everybody. We had this mysterious fire uh, break out here in the outer office. Uh, Mrs. Schmackelheimer is uh, taking care of it, I think. Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of strange. Uh, just suddenly it burst into flame. I, I, I don't know why. Uh, I saw our previous guest outside a few minutes before that holding a bottle with a rag, and I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but uh, uh, wait just a second. Oh, what's, what's this, Mrs. Schmeckelheimer? Uh, Mrs. Schmeckelheimer just handed me a note. Oh, apparently that was delivered from the stock tip insurance salesman gangster goon that was here earlier uh, with a threat on it. It says, if you don't pay up, there will be a drive-by shooting. I don't care what he does. I'm not going to give in to extortion. I'm just not going to do it. I, I, wait, what's that out the window? Coming this way! Everybody duck! Boy, the high price of gas is hitting everybody these days. Let's take a short break and uh, listen to the latest episode of Mr. Wizard. Well, hello, Billy. It's good to see you again. Hello, Mr. Wizard. Billy, you may wonder what we're doing out at this wooden swinging bridge over that river way down in that ravine. Well, I kind Have you ever wondered what keeps a bridge up? Polygrip? <laughs> Science is a serious business, Billy. I'm sorry. Bridges stay up because they have supports at key stress areas. Ooh. Take this bridge. Okay. It's designed to withstand up to 600 pounds. Wow. Walk across it, Billy. Okay. Notice how the bridge hardly moves under Billy's 100-pound frame. I made it. Now, Billy, uh, pick up that anvil and cross back again. Uh, notice how the bridge begins to sag a bit as Billy crosses because he and the anvil together weigh close to 300 pounds. Now, Billy, uh, pick up that elephant and cross again. What? Up, Simba. What? Up. Wait a minute. Good boy. Good, good, good. Okay, now sit on Billy's back. Fine. Okay, cross the bridge, Billy. Ah, see that? With over 2,000 pounds at the stress points, the bridge is showing definite signs of... Well, 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 well. The stress point gave way. That goes to show that you should always take maximum bridge limits seriously, because science is a serious business. This is Mr. Wizard saying, we'll have more fun with science tomorrow, kids. Bye-bye. <laughs> and it's time for our next guest. Johnny, who have we got? Our next guest on Bells in the Battery is Mr. Osgood Knight. He's a man who repairs and services heating systems for homes and businesses. <laughs> It's good uh, to see you. Oh, yes, it's really good to be mm -hmm. here. Uh, you know, I used to be a pilot. Uh, that's where I got the name of my place. Uh, I was famous for uh, flybys. You uh -huh. know, people would be on the street and I'd fly by. Oh, like everybody said, hey, there goes old flyby. So uh, that's that's where I got the name of my business. Uh, so if you need somebody, just call Flyby Night 
heating and air. Fly by night. Fly by night. (laughs) Well, what (laughs) tips can you give us about heating systems? Uh, All we need to know is, uh, I know you haven't turned on the heater here in the studio. No, no, we haven't had the opportunity. Building things stay pretty warm all the time anyway, but uh, it's getting kind of nippy. So uh, why don't we just try turning on this heater now, and I'll kind of give you an idea of what you should look for while we uh, turn on the heater here. Okay, uh, turn her on. It's on. All right, now, now you see that that sound there. That's uh, generally not a good sign. That means that your motor mount has come loose here. The uh, motor itself is uh, off its bearings, or uh, or there's a technical term. It's just all mucked up. Uh, that's the basic term there. Uh, there's something wrong with the motor. Oh, uh, my gosh. Look what's coming out of those vents. Oh, Yeah, there's geez. usually a bunch of roaches and mice that come oh, running out of your vents. Hundreds right of here. Oh, <laughs> that's oh, pretty yeah. normal. They're uh, all over the there. place. Oh. Yeah. But I don't know about them chickens. Uh, <laughs> and the dogs and the mother critters. Get those things out of here. You got to get clean that out every once in a while. Get these out of here, please. Now, that burning smell you get when you first turn on your heater in the season, that's, uh, that's pretty normal there. You see? Oh, good. There's dust in there, and that dust yeah. gets real hot, and that's what makes that smell. So, well, that's perfectly normal. Oh, my. Now, that fire shooting out of the vent oh. there is not normal. That's, uh, you, you don't usually get that. No. Say, uh, you know, seven out of ten cases, uh, that's a pretty unusual thing to have fire shooting out, especially that far. Really? I'd say, you know, four to five feet like that. Ooh, man, that's pretty good. That's Ooh. like a new record. There. That's uh, that's quite impressive, actually. Uh, uh, what about now, the- now, the- now, sparks. Uh, <laughs> it means some sort of electrical short. Uh, in fact, it, uh, the way it's spraying those sparks all over the place. Uh, yeah, that's Whoa. good. Okay. Uh, that's an electrical problem. Uh, I need to fix that. So the best way in this kind of case where you really need to replace everything uh-huh. is to uh, purge the system of everything that's purge? Bad, and that's yeah. simply done by tossing in this here stick of dynamite. Stick of uh, di- no, no, don't want to fire the hole. No, no. that's all those smoke. That's all right. Well, we blew the windows out. That'll blow that out. That's oh. okay. Fine. Now, what you need to do is replace this antiquated, uh, old-fashioned uh, heater here uh-huh. with one of our brand new nuclear heat pumps. Nuclear. I just happen to have one. Roscoe, bring that in here. Yeah, okay. that's fine. Just, just put it over there in the corner. Okay. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice? I don't hear it running, but it's getting warm in here. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, that's how that thing works. Yeah. Uh, look, I really gotta go now. Uh, uh, I'll it, see you later. Should it be glowing like this? Or should it be glowing like this? Should it be? I feel all tingly. Um, we'll be back after this. There is a new SUV that's unlike any other. It's big because you want big, but you also don't want to worry about lousy gas mileage. And with the new Skeeter SUV, that worry is a thing of the past. Thanks to new hybrid technology, you can get more miles per gallon in your big Skeeter SUV. How does it work? Easy. As you approach a wimpy little car from the rear and start to climb over it with a Skeeter's patented action track suspension, a special metal tube projects from the Skeeter, piercing the gas tank of the car and sucking out all the gas therein. It only takes a few seconds, then you can roll right over that car and leave its empty husk behind, as nature intended. Yes, the new Skeeter is a hybrid of SUV technology and classic mosquito design. The Skeeter is definitely an itch you can scratch. Get over to your Skeeter dealer today, but hurry, get there before you see a Skeeter in your rearview mirror. Okay, let's see if I can get some semblance of normalcy back into this podcast. Hey, Mr. Bell! Well, there goes the chance for normalcy. 
Hello, Arnie. Hi, hi, it's Joe. And this is Arnie Kunchpart, our resident scientist and inventor. Arnie, what's going on? Well, I was listening in earlier, Mr. Bell, and I think I know how I can take care of your dilemma. My what? Your dilemma. My dilemma? Yeah, your dilemma. Just say problem. Your problem. Say dilemma. Okay, dilemma. Anyway, I have an invention that might help. Oh, boy, what is it? It's a shrink ray. A shrink ray? Yeah, a shrink ray. See this device here? Uh-huh. When I point at somebody, it'll shrink them down to the size of a hamster. Oh, so when Mr. Miller comes in and tries to extort money from me, you hit him with a shrink ray. Yeah, and he shrinks down to any bitty size. We drop a trash can on him and all our problems are solved. Now, now, you're sure this thing works? You've tested it, right? Oh, yes, it works perfectly. Okay, then all we need to do is... Wait, wait, listen, listen. He's out in the lobby. He's going to be coming in here in just a few seconds. Hide over there in the corner. And as we're talking, hit him with a shrink ray. This is so exciting. I'm going to hide in the corner. Yeah. Get over there. Oh, coming out. Be... So quiet. Quiet. Okay, okay. Here he comes. Shh. Hello there, Mr. Bell. I thought I'd drop by again and see if you've uh, given consideration to my previous proposition. Yeah, well, I've given it some thought, and I think it was awful big of you to come back. Uh-huh. That's so funny. And let me tell you. Uh-huh. You're going to get what's coming to you. That's what I want, what's coming to oh, me. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. You're going to get yours any second now. Well, good. Let me have it. Yeah, you think you're a big man now, but you're going to be pretty small in just a second or two. Well, let me have it. Yeah, you're going to get what's coming to you, like, right now. Come on. Right now. Right. What the hey? Uh, what is that, a hamster running around? No. I don't like hamsters. No, no, don't shoot at the hamster. Don't shoot at the out of here. All right, I'm leaving. But don't be surprised if something important seems to be missing. <laughs> so long, sucker. I uh, guess I was holding it backwards in all the excitement. I and uh, whoa, oh, where are you picking me up? This is nice. Uh, where are you taking me? Where are you taking over the? No, don't drop me into the. Ah! Oh. All right, things are getting a little out of control here. I need to get back to Earth. Let me talk to my secretary, Ms. Schmackelheimer. Ms. Schmackelheimer? Ms. Schmackelheimer? Hello? Mr. Bell, this is Ms. Schmackelheimer. Well, hello. I was worried about you. Ms. Sadie Schmackelheimer? Yes, yes, I know who you are. Where are you? I don't know. I have a sack over my head. Fashion statement? Burlap. My kidnapper's put it there. Kidnap? You've been kidnapped? That's what they tell me, yes. Well, what exactly did they tell you? I guess that's a kidnapping. They're holding me for ransom. How much? I don't know. You don't know? No. They wrote me a short note to read to you over the phone Uh that has the ransom amount on it. Okay, then read me the note. I can't. Why not? I've got a burlap bag over my head, remember? All I see is burlap. Ask the kidnappers if you can take the bag off your head to read me the note, please.
Yes, Ms. Schmackelheimer. I need to put the phone down for a minute while I take the bag off my head. And yes, then... yes, yes, yes. I heard the plan. Just, just hurry up, please. Okay, the bag's off my head. My eyes are closed. Where are you, Mr. Kidnapper? Right here, Ms. Schmackelheimer. I've got the bag. Let me put it on my head here. Tell me when it's on so I can open my eyes and okay. read the note. It's on. It's on. Read the note. Let me read it silently to myself first. Why? I don't want to read it cold. I'll sound like a fool. Stumbling all over the words. Let me get a feel for the note. Then I'll read it out loud. Yeah, yeah, please? Yeah, yeah, fine, fine. Just all right. Just just read it to yourself, then then, then read it out loud. Come on, lady. It's not that long a note. Look, just just read the darn thing, huh? Miss Schmackelheimer. Miss Schmackelheimer? Don't make me take this bag off my head. Okay, that's it. I'm taking the bag off my head and... Uh-oh. Hello? Hello? What's going on? Uh, if you don't pay us $50,000, you won't see her alive again. Put the money in a green hefty bag. Miss Smackleheimer, you got away? The big dumb ox had a burlap bag over his head. Oh, well, uh, can you please bring me today's mail? Certainly, Mr. Bell. And check out my guest interview schedule. Right away, Mr. Bell. You will never see Mrs. Hackens. Well, that's it. The end of episode three of Bells in the Bat Free. Thank you for joining me here in the Bat Free, and we'll be back again next week. If you have any comments, please, I do beg for comments. Write to me at profzounds at hotmail.com. That's P-R-O-F, as in professor, Z-O-U-N-D-S, like sounds with a Z, at hotmail.com. Bells in the Baffrey was written and performed by John Bell, so I'm solely responsible for its content, which is a very sad thing to have to admit. Special guest voice this week, Cynthia Taylor. Thank you, Cindy. Thank you for joining us. We'll catch you next time. Bye, everybody. Is this a good voice? Is this okay? Are you sure? All right. I okay. Are you you're positive this is a good voice? Okay. Yeah. Be seated, gentlemen. I would be proud to lead you in avoiding the following program: Bells in the Bat Free, Episode Hunt Two Three Four. Hi there, and welcome to Episode 4 of Bells in the Bat Free. I'm John Bell, your genial host. We have a lot going on in the show right now, and I think we need a recap. So, Johnny, will you do the honors, please? In our last very exciting episode, hordes of giant armadillos from Venus what? arrive in their peanut-shaped flying saucers, laying waste to half the country. Wait, Instantly, John Bell of Bells in the Bat Free and his entire cast now, hold on. took arms against these armadillos wait. and fought them wait, back wait, to... Wait, 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 wait. Nothing like that happened in the last episode? Unfortunately, you're correct. I'm improving on the last episode. No, it doesn't need improving. It's exciting enough the way it happened. Just express that. All right, all right, all right. Last time you should recall in the last episode, a gangster came by and extorted money, demanded money in a protection racket, kidnapped a member of the cast, and all that sort of stuff. It was, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. You know, you may have a point there. It's not as exciting as I thought it was. Giant no, 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 no. We, we can't do the made-up stuff. We oh. have to... 
continue on with what really happened. Okay. So uh, the gangster is still at large, and he's still trying to extort money and uh, cause accidents, and this we pay him a certain amount, blah, 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 sir, sir, sir. Thank you, Johnny. That was very um, adequate for what we needed here. Thank, thank you very much. Well, that's the plot, such as it is from last time. We have this uh, extortionist, Diamond Hood Miller, this crook, who's uh, forcing us to pay him protection money. Otherwise, he's going to cause havoc, destruction, and kidnapping. And we're trying to think of a way to get rid of him, to foil him. And what we need now is a good voice of reason. Or Arnie Cunchpart. Hi, Arnie. What's new with you? Nothing much. I can't just show you my new... Wait English. a minute. Weren't you the size of a hamster? Oh, yeah, but that was last week. Yeah, your shrink ray shrunk oh, you yeah, down. that was last episode. You know, when you have different episodes... But just... how did you get back to normal? I'm just back to normal. Just accept it, okay? Okay. That's how this thing kind of works. All right, just tell me about your new invention. Then. I have envisioned a time machine. A time machine. We can go into the future and see all the no, marvels no, no, that no, no, will you be... You can't use a time machine to go into the future, see, huh? because we're already traveling into the future. Who's traveling into the future. Yes, all of us. We're all traveling into the future. What? My for instance, in five seconds, I'll say the word wooga wooga. So that event is still in the future. Wooga wooga. Now it's now. And now it's in the past. Uh-huh. We passed it like passing a train station uh-huh. at full speed. Chugga, 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 chugga. Fine, Woo-woo. fine, 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 fine. In that case, we'll go into the past yes. and see the monumental moments in history no, as... you can't do that, I'm afraid, because the time machine only works 30 seconds at a time. Works what? 30 seconds at a time. What? I can only go back 30 seconds. Only 30 seconds? What use is that? Can you go back 30 seconds without a time machine? No. I shall demonstrate it to you. Okay. That is my time machine right over there. It looks like a phone booth. You see that right over there? Yeah, I see it right there. In 60 seconds, I will get in the time machine, and I will go back 30 seconds. That means 30 seconds from when I said I would go ahead 60 seconds, I should appear from 60 seconds into the future. So you're telling me that you're going to go into the time machine, go back 30 seconds, and appear here with your present self before you go back 30 seconds? Exactly. And this will all happen in about 10 seconds. 10, 9, 8, 6, 7, 7, right. 6, 5, 4, 3, Oh, say it. Two. Don't spray it. Okay, guys, guys, settle down. This is actually quite amazing. So so you're the one from the future. Yes. And you're the one from the present. Yes. And the one from the present has to get into that time machine in just a few seconds and go back to the past, which is when the future one appeared to us in the past, right? Yes. Boy, boy, you're pretty good at this sort of thing. No, I gotta go into the past. Let me get into the time machine over Look here. Out, there's someone at the window with a machine gun. Don't everybody duck. <laughs> That'll show you the pay up when you're supposed to. I'll be back. And when I come back, remember, I take Visa, MasterCard, and checks with two forms of identification. <laughs> Uh, future Arnie, uh, President Arnie, are you guys okay? Yes, Mr. Bell, but he's got a time machine. He broke it. I, I can see that, but certainly you can fix it, can't you? Mr. Bell, you don't understand the ramifications of what's happening here. If the time machine's broken, I can't get into it and go 30 seconds into the past. Which means that I shouldn't have gotten here at all. How am I existing? What's going on? So you're saying one of you shouldn't even exist right now? Yes. 
What? No, you should be the one not existing. No, no, because according to Einstein, you see, no, the future well, well, comes guys, into the past. Guys, hold it. This is getting just a little too existential for me. It is kind of Calvin and Hobbes, isn't it? Look, when science takes a wrong turn, the only thing you can do is... Listen to the latest episode of Mr. Wizard! Good morning, Billy. Hello, Mr. Wizard. Are you ready to explore another fascinating aspect of science today? No. Good. Let's get started. Okay. Billy, what do you think of when I say Einstein? That's German for one mug of beer. Don't embarrass me, Billy. I'm sorry. Albert Einstein came up with the theory of relativity. Oh, yeah. Everything is relative. Uh -huh. Understand? Sure. Of course you don't understand, no. but I'll try to explain it in a way your small mind can comprehend. What? Our concept of time can alter depending on how we use it. Uh -huh. uh, for instance, take this ice cream cone. Oh, boy. <laughs> you have ten seconds to eat oh, it. Mm. Mm, mm. Five. That's good. That's really... Um, nine. Um, ten. Time's up, Billy. Hey, that was hardly any time at all. <laughs> That's right, Billy. When you're doing something you enjoy, time passes quickly. Oh, yeah. Now, let's see how fast <laughs> the next ten seconds seems to pass. Okay. Uh, but first, let me introduce our special guest, Slugger Magoon. Wow, a professional Yo. boxer, and Hello, he's wearing his gloves yes, and everything. Yes, Mr. Magoon, uh, if you'll begin. Begin? Okay. Begin what? Mr. Wizard, he's coming over here. Oh. One, two, three, four, five... Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. <laughs> well, Billy, I'm sure you noticed that the ten seconds with the boxer seemed like a much longer span of time than the ten seconds with the ice cream. That's relativity. Next week, we'll experiment with our friend, Mr. Radioactivity. Until then, bye-bye. Did I finish his ice cream? Now, with views on the news and movie reviews, here's Cy Liloquy. Hi, guy, this is Cy Liloquy being dragged, kicked, and screaming into the 21st century. I just bought my first iPod, yes, my very first. I wanted to hear all the podcasts one can hear, and the only way to do that is to listen to instructional podcasts, like typical PC user, who tells you how to listen to podcasts on your iPod, which doesn't help much if you don't yet have an iPod to listen to the instructions on. So I got an iPod, and now I can listen to podcasts, even the total waste of time and bandwidth podcasts, like Bells in the Bad Free. So far, I'm loving the iPod, except for one tiny but major problem. The iPod came with two fuzzy little things that fit over the earbuds so they won't blister the inside of your ears. They even came with a second spare pair of fuzzy covers, which means I could listen to my iPod for almost two days before my ears started blistering because those darn fuzzy covers never lasted me a whole day. The darn things came off in my pocket or on my desk or even worse, in my ears. Is there anybody who has had an iPod for more than 48 hours who still has his fuzzy covers on the earbuds? I even tried putting a drop of super glue under the fuzzies to keep them on, and I couldn't take the darn earbuds out of my ears for three days and two gallons of boiling hot water. What is this? Cutting-edge technology, and they can't keep the fuzzy things on the earbuds? So what? Watch for me. I'm the guy listening to podcasts with blistered ears. And speaking of funny-looking ears, I just purchased my DVD of Batman Begins, which almost makes up for the travesty that was Batman and Robin. This new Batman is unique in that it actually takes characters out of the comic book and puts them into the movie. Cripes, Commissioner Gordon finally looks like Commissioner Gordon instead of a walrus with orthodontia. Batman is back to being dark and brooding like he belongs instead of some ballet dancer ice skating around in a suit with rubber nipples who came up with that idea for crying out loud. The Batmobile is a really cool car. I'd like to see him up behind some moron holding up traffic in the left lane, Blam, thank you, ma'am. The movie's so good that even my wife likes it. And she has had very particular taste starting the day after she married me. I'm Sililoquy, that's my two cents worth, and someone owes me change. And we're back at Bells in the Bat Free. I'm a little concerned about Arnie Cunchpart and this future self. There are two of them running around now. 
He's trying to figure out the best way to solve it. He's in his lab. Let me check on him. Arnie, everything okay in there? Yeah, I think I got to figure it out. Give me about a minute and everything to be just fine. Okay, tell you what. Um, I'm going to run a commercial, and I'll come back and check on you after the commercial, okay? Okay. Okay. We'll be back after this. It's the storm nobody expected. It's the storm nobody thought possible. Category 8. Squared. It's the end of the world. So strong, they'll even feel it on Mars. Category 8 Squared. Tonight on NBS. Then tomorrow night at 8, it's fun for the entire family on Susie and her friends. Laughs ensue when Dad finds out to his dismay that Susie and her friends are skinny dipping in the backyard for a webcast. And the hilarity continues when Susie's brother, dressed as a shark, causes all the girls to jump out of the water in front of the TV news crew. That's Susie and her friends. Two-time winner of the Wholesome Family TV Award. Remember, it's sweet, sweet, so anything goes on NBS. Okay, Arnie said to check back with him after a minute, and the commercial was a minute, so uh, let's see what's going on. Uh, Arnie, if you got this all figured out? I'm still working on it. Okay, there's an image I want to get out of my mind as soon as I possibly can. I think I'll try to get this whole Diamond Hood Miller thing done with. It's time I went to a professional. I'm going to see a detective. It was a typical rainy afternoon in the big city. I was opening and discarding my typical pile of overdue bills while listening to the typical PC user podcast. The door opened, and in came an odd-looking duck. I chased the duck out of the office and ran into a strange man in the hallway. Are you Ace Detective Buckshot? He was an inquisitive type, asking the sort of questions your wife might ask when you stagger into the bedroom at 3 a.m. What? He was short, shaggy, and wore a suit that a Bowery bum would give back to goodwill. What's wrong with my suit? Just... I motioned him into the office. Okay. He sat in the chair I have reserved for suckers and clients. What? especially those that fit both descriptions. Uh, While I settled in my ancient leather chair that had long ago contoured itself perfectly to my posterior. Why do you keep talking to yourself? He like... was sharp, this one. Huh? I knew that I should never turn my back on him, or he may give me an early Christmas present of a set of Jinsu knives right between the shoulder oh, blades. I asked him his name. Go ahead, ask. What's your name? My name's John Bell. He gave me a name that sounded phonier than a Nigerian widow's promise of an easy fortune. What? I may have blow pop tattooed on my forehead, but I'm no sucker. Right. Although it does get uncomfortable with a stick up my... Look, if you're going to do a running soliloquy, I'll just go next door and Hold find it, some... Hold it, pal. Other... No rush. I'll be glad to help you. Spill the caper. What? Give me the bird's eye lowdown. Huh? The skinny. The veal Alfredo. You made that last one up. No, I'm just hungry. Huh? What brings you here besides that 12-year-old Geo Metro that's bringing down the property value of my parking lot? I told him about how Diamond Hood Miller was pulling the old protection racket, how I had to cough up the dory me or I might be R.I.P. E.D.Q. Hold it, hold it, hold it. I'm the one who does the narrating around here. Just give it to me plain. Plain? Yeah. Give it to me dragnet style. Dragnet style? That's what I said. This Miller guy wants money. That's a fact. Didn't have my secretary. Shot up my office. Yes, sir. Darn shame. How's that, sir? Really like that office. 6.32 p.m. I checked with the DMV to get a 1020 on our MIA SOB. We got lucky. He's living in a penthouse apartment not two blocks from here. Let's roll. 9.55 p.m. After a quick stop for dinner and a movie, we found ourselves standing at Miller's door. I'll ring the bell. You ring the bell, but be careful. Why? Looks like an ordinary bell. There are bells, and there are bells. How's that? 
could be a buzzer. Hadn't thought of that. Only one way to find out. How's that? Push the button. Yeah, what do you want? You Diamond Hood Miller? Yeah, who's asking? Private detective. Name's Shot. Buckshot. This is my partner, Bell. You sure it ain't Buzzer? It's Bell. Is this the Bell guy? What? Is this the guy, Bell? That's him. I'm him? You're him. He's you. I'm he. Yes, sirree. You're under arrest. And that's how this case was solved. Good old detective work. Sometimes you just gotta hit the streets. Pound the pavement. Wear off some shoe leather. Hey, is he gonna Slam take me in and talk us to them? This could go on for hours. So, uh, you wanna go get some coffee? Sure, my tree. Sure is. I snagged your wallet ten minutes ago. <laughs> What's the miles on the internal odometer? Ask for a little traveling music. idea for a product or service but don't know where to start? Are you looking to grow your current business? Women's Initiative in San Francisco began its business management training program for low-income, high-potential women in 1988. To attend a free orientation on how you can achieve your dream of starting your own business or for more information, please contact Sophia Campos at 415-641-3465. That's 415 415- Six four one three four six five. This public service announcement is brought to you by your friends at Mutiny Radio. Once again, Decoder Ring Theater presents another page from the casebook of that master of mystery, that sultan of sleuthing, Martin Bracknell's immortal detective, Black Jack Justice, starring Christopher Mott as Jack and Andrea Lyons as Trixie Dixon, girl detective. The name's Justice. Jack. Justice. People get some pretty strange ideas about just what a private detective does. On the deliberately rare occasion that I meet someone new, their eyes light up with visions of murder and mayhem dancing in their heads. It never seems to occur to them that murder and mayhem is generally what the public detectives are for, and those boys tend to get a little touchy if you try and help. 
fellow could get his nose broken that way. Again. Generally, for a P.I. to get involved in a murder case, one of three things has to happen. His client gets murdered, his client murders someone, or someone, client or otherwise, murders him. The last option is the least popular and one I've been able to avoid thus far, which is why it was strange on this particular day when I had nothing planned but staring at the door reading my own name backwards over and over again to hear this request. Mr. Justice, I want you to solve the murder of Theodore Crandall. The name's Dixon. Trixie Dixon, girl detective. Our prospective client was an impressive side of beef. His size he was born with, and there wasn't much more to say about it than that. His build and general deportment suggested he worked for a living. Real work. Not the kind most folks do these days. His press suit and clean hands suggested that whatever it was he used to do, he'd been good enough at it that he didn't have to do it much anymore. He was polite, but he didn't mince words. He looked you in the eyes when he spoke to you. Not handsome, not ugly. A man, taken for all in all, as they say. He opened the door, nodded at me, walked to the middle of the room, and made his rather unique request as if it were the sort of thing we did each and every day. Jack and I exchanged a look. We hated to dispel his illusions. A case was a case. Well, that's very interesting, Mr... Arbor. Leon Arbor. This is my partner, Miss Dixon. Trixie, please. Glad to know you. Truth of the matter is, we've been run off our feet lately. <laughs> I haven't seen the paper in days. I'm afraid I'm not familiar with the Crandall murder. Trix? Theodore Crandall? Why, Jack, that was five years ago, wasn't it, Mr. Arbor? More like seven, young lady. But you're right. A seven-year-old murder? What makes you think we can do what John Law can't? The police? Well, I'm sure they tried, but I'm just as sure they aren't trying anymore. There's a reason for that, you know. Memories fade. Witnesses forget, move, die, you name it. They call them cold cases for a reason. If you're not interested... Interested. Brother, I haven't been this interested in anything for weeks. Then why? We just want you to have an idea of what we're up against, Mr. Arbor. Why don't you tell us everything you know, and we'll know better if it's worth your trouble and expense. In this matter, Miss Dixon, uh, forgive me, Trixie, uh, there's no trouble too great, and I will spare no expense. Why? What was Theodore Crandall to you? Crandall? Nothing. Never met the man. Trixie? Yeah, Jack? Take the phone off the hook, would you? You have our complete attention, Mr. Arbor. Well, sir, I'm a simple sort of man. I'm not one normally for speeches. I'm in construction, worked my way up over the years, and in the last ten years I've owned my own company. We're not the biggest in town, but we get the job done, and that still counts for something in this world. Yes, sir. It's not easy work, but it's something I've always enjoyed, even through the hard years. I guess I figured I had everything I needed, till I met her. Her? Helen. She'd been through so much, and I... Well, you just have to look at me to know I've never been much for courting the ladies. It took a little time, but, well, I'd do anything in this world for her, Mr. Justice. You've got to know that. Mr. Arbor. Yeah? You lost me somewhere between the murder investigation and the love story. Jeez, that's right. I'm sorry. It's just, I get so tongue-tied even talking about her. Leon Arbor looked down as he told his story and played with the ends of his fingers like a shy little boy. I've been a detective for too long to take much at face value. But if these big, strong, silent types ever figure out they can make the most jaded heart go pitter-pat with a routine like this, sisters, we are all in trouble. If what he was after was legal, my vote was to take the case. Helen is now my wife, Mr. Justice. But before that, she was Helen Crandall. Crandall? Don't suppose that's a coincidence. No, sir. My wife is Theodore Crandall's widow. I'm afraid I still don't understand. Helen is a wonderful woman. I've tried to make her happy. She says she is, but 
And in my heart, I know she's still haunted by what happened to her first husband. Sometimes she seems so far away. But when I ask about it, she'll smile and pretend nothing's wrong, but I can tell. And then there are the nightmares. She won't tell me about them, but... Uh, Mr. Justice, Miss Dixon, there's nothing in this world I wouldn't do for her. I've done all that I can, but the one thing that might give her peace is beyond my power to give. You think if her first husband's murder was solved, that'd do the trick? I think it would help, yes. It's worth my money to find out if it's worth your time. I looked at Trixie and she looked at me. I could see it in her eyes. She was soft for the big lug. His story rang true enough. It wasn't like we were besieged by other offers. I rubbed my chin to give the general impression that I was still thinking about it. I held Mr. Arbor's eyes for half a minute. He met my gaze without a flinch. I looked back to Trixie and shrugged a little. Mr. Arbor, we'll take the case. I appreciate it. But you've got to understand. If the police never made an arrest, it's for a reason. If their investigation hit a wall, the chances are very good that ours will, too. The odds are, at the end of the day, you'll have nothing to show for this but the dead certainty that you tried your best and so did we. Any detective who'd tell you different is a liar. I appreciate your honesty. When can you start? Right now. I'll draw up a contract. Trixie, you hit the stacks. I'm not sure how Jack used to reconcile being a detective with his loathing of libraries, but I do know since we've partnered up, I never had to fight much to land the bookwork. An awful lot of what a detective does happens in libraries, archives, halls of records, and the like. I loved it. Burrowing through the newspaper files on the Crandall murder, I felt like a treasure hunter. Old Square Jock would wear out two pairs of shoes and not start out on such solid ground. Theodore Crandall had been found late at night in an alley behind the factory he owned, not twenty feet from his car. The trunk was open. His face was scratched, his knuckles were bruised, and there was a jagged piece of metal about seven inches long sticking out of his belly. His watch and wallet had been taken, and the bulls figured that was the motive. They'd had a suspect. A wino they found five days later with several gallons of fine domestic paint thinner where his blood ought to be, and Crandall's half-empty billfold in his pocket. It had taken two days to sober him up, and another three to confirm his alibi. But in the end, they had to admit he'd just tripped over the body and reckoned the corpse wouldn't be needing his things. By the time they picked up the trail again, it had gone cold, and it looked like it stayed that way. The case had slowly drifted back from page one and finally disappeared after a two-paragraph mention on page 16, just above the title schedules. And that was it. I got a sandwich at a lunch counter and decided to walk back to the office, with a slight detour to the alley where Crandall had died. I wondered what Jack was up to, but I didn't wonder all that hard. Leon Arbor paid for a week up front, all in cash. He was ready to pony up more, but I convinced him to come back in a week to see what we had and if it seemed worthwhile to continue. He signed on the dotted line, shook my hand warmly, and gave me a chuck on the shoulder that would have knocked a smaller man on his back. He even had the good grace to look mildly sheepish at his own enthusiasm. I was starting to think Trixie was right about this guy, and I was sure I didn't want to end up on his bad side. I left a message with Hap Jackson at the ME's office begging for a copy of the coroner's report. I was sure Lady Bookworm would be gone for the rest of the morning and didn't feel much like waiting around, so I rang up Mike Rogers, crime reporter from the Gazette. Mike had been around so long he'd broken this story when Cain killed Abel. I figured he might point me in the right direction, if properly motivated. When you offered to buy me lunch, Jack, I expected a little more than a visit to the hot dog cart out front. Why's that? I happen to know you eat four of these a day. You working for my wife again? No, your cardiologist. <laughs> so, the Crandall murder, huh? Who's the client? Client? So that's what I've been doing wrong all this time. All right, wise guy. What do you need? You must have had a twinkle on this somewhere, Mike. Sure, the cops chased a robbery angle for a few days. Made it look good. 
Of course, it dead-ended, and a few days later, things just sort of clammed up. Clammed up? Any cop worth a suit can answer all your questions in a way that gives a guy nothing to print. Me? I can smell a cover at 60 paces. My editor? He bores real easy. Almost as easy as the average reader. It's his job. I don't know from why, but they turned off the heat on this one real early. No idea who provided the gag? Nah, just a lot of tap dancing from Sabian. Lieutenant Sabian? He worked the case? He was Sergeant Sabian back then, but sure, he was the lead bull. Whoever scared him off did a heck of a job, though. I figure politics. Politics? Sure. Crandall's business partner, McCready. He's got a lot of dough and the pull that comes with it. I chased it for a while, but couldn't make it stick. Listen, you dig up anything on this, I expect to get it first. Client gets it first, Mike. Then you, then the law. I hope none of you are holding your breath. There's nothing like a murder case to make you paranoid. Mike Rogers had been chasing them for so long he saw conspiracies everywhere. Sabian was a first-class pain in the neck, but he was a good cop. He didn't scare easy, and I didn't believe that seven years had changed him that much. On the way back to the office, I ran into Trixie. She'd been down to the stacks and the scene of the crime. I told her if she showed me hers, I'd show her mine. The problem isn't that he said it. The problem is that he said it like he hadn't said it a hundred times before. Anyway, I ran him over the details as we walked up, and he told me about Mike Rogers' theory. I agreed it sounded thin. I was a lot more interested in the scene of the crime. The alley behind Crandall's factory was narrow. Deliveries only, no parking. The crime was committed in the middle of the night. Why had Crandall been at the factory at all? Why had he parked in the alley instead of the lot across the street? Four hours into the case and we'd found a dozen questions and no answers. Maybe our news hound's nose knows after all. What's that? Try this one on. The partner, McCready, calls Crandall up in the middle of the night. There's big trouble down at the factory. Get down here right away. He tears out, parks in the alley, and bam. The murder weapon was scrap metal, Jack. Something you find, not something you plan a murder around. Unless that was meant to throw the cops off the track. Why throw the cops off the track and fix the case from upstairs at the same time? Better safe than sorry. We're gonna need a little more than that. We're gonna get it. We'll talk to the partner in the morning. Agreed. In the meantime, I've got a call in for a copy of the coroner's report. Maybe there's something in there we can use. Well, you gonna open the office door or just stand there admiring your name and lights? I was just thinking. You locked your keys in the office again, didn't you? Shut up. My hero. Allow me. Well, well. Mr. and Mrs. Flatfoot. Out for a stroll? Sabian. Make yourself comfortable, Lieutenant Sabian. Never let a little thing like a locked door stand in the way of our friendship. Don't get wise. What do you want, Sabian? Call off the dogs, Dixon. I just stopped by with a little friendly advice. Last time I got friendly advice from your boys, it came with two broken ribs. Not all cops are thugs, Justice. So they say. Of course, if they said not all rain was wet, I'd still want to see it for myself. Word around the campfire is you're on the Crandall murder. Who told you that? Little bird in the medical examiner's office. I take it you didn't drop by with a copy of the coroner's report. Cute. I won't bother to ask who the client is. Whatever he's paying you, it ain't worth it. Afraid we'll show up the department, Lieutenant? I'd explain it, but you'd never understand. Walk away is all. Thanks for stopping by, Sabian. Have it your way. Some guys you just can't help. You are listening to Blackjack Justice, another fine program from Decoder Ring Theater. Whether you are listening via podcast or through one of our broadcast partners, be sure to stop by our website, www.decoderingtheater.com, 
for all our latest episodes, information on upcoming shows, and much more. If you enjoy these programs and wish to see them continue, please consider making a small contribution through one of the convenient PayPal links on our homepage. And please do take the time to help us spread the word. Tell a friend, post a link, or take a moment to rate or review our programs through your podcast directory or service. And remember, wherever you may roam, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address for adventure, mystery, and comedy. No detective likes to be told to walk away from a case. The more you try to pull him off it, the more he digs his teeth in. Lieutenant Sabian wasn't exactly on our Christmas card list, but he was too good a detective not to know we wouldn't scare. At least I thought he was. Mike Rogers' theory that the fix was in on the Crandall murder was looking less and less crazy all the time. If something had run Sabian off the case seven years ago, it meant the trail hadn't gone cold after all. Which meant that happy ending our client, Leon Arbor, was trying to buy for his wife might just be possible. Of course, if this something was big and bad enough to run Sabian up a tree, the ending might not be all that happy for Trixie and me. We could only hope the partner, Mr. McCready, was a little more forthcoming. I don't understand why you're digging around this mess again. Ted Crandall's been dead seven years. Can't you just let him rest? Maybe his rest isn't the issue, Mr. McCready. There's other interested parties. Interested parties? It can't be an insurance angle. Ted didn't carry a policy. His only business relationship was with me, and I didn't hire you. He had no family. He had a wife? Helen didn't hire you. What makes you so sure? I didn't... Look, Helen Crandall has been through enough. Don't dredge this up. You talk to her often? Often enough. Not often enough to know that she's been Helen Arbor for the last four years? She... Does she still own her husband's share of this company? No. No, I bought her out shortly after Ted died. I see. I'm not sure I like what you're implying. Did I imply something, Jack? Helen had no means of support. You can check the records. I paid her twice what Ted's half of the business was worth. Very generous. It was the least I could do. What was your partner doing here in the middle of the night? Ted often worked late. So he'd been here all day? I suppose. Parked in the alley? I couldn't say. Is that what you told the police? You'd have to ask them. We have. They're a little sketchy on details. You talked to Sergeant Sabian? You can't remember your statement to the police, but you remember the name of the detective you gave it to? Maybe you should talk to Sergeant Sabian. You use that alley for anything except deliveries? Not that I know of. Any chance we could see a shipping manifest from the day Crandall died? You should really... Look, MacReady, if we promise to talk to Sabian, can we see the manifest? You'll call him? Scout's honor. Fortunately, Jack was never a Boy Scout, so we got what we wanted and hightailed it out of there. I had a feeling that Sabian's phone would be ringing all right, but it'd be MacReady on the other end confirming the lieutenant's suspicions that we hadn't laid off the case. We had to go to ground while we figured out where to go from here. We made camp at the Blue Moon Bar down the street and thrashed things out as best we could. All else fails. Start with the facts. Facts? The facts are the problem. The murder weapon was a found object. Says crime of opportunity. But what opportunity? No robbery, at least not till after the fact. The wino. The wino. Maybe we should dig him up. I think we'd have to. He was a transient wino seven years ago. Think he took the cure and made his first million? I think the partner. Why? Why else is he dancing so fast to keep this covered? Why is Sabian? And why did your friend Hap tip him off? I don't know. MacReady owns a factory. He's got some pull. He and Crandall meet late at the factory. They argue. MacReady grabs a piece of metal and before you know it... 
All right, don't give me that look. I know how thin it is. What's the motive? Control of the business. Think Crandall would have turned down an offer equal to what MacReady gave his widow? The least I could do? Think MacReady bribed Sabian to keep it quiet? I think Sabian's too good a cop for that. And if you tell him I said so, I'll clip your beak. Likewise. If it's not the business and it's not a robbery, what about a mob hit? Something to do with the business. That's why MacReady won't talk. He's still scared? No. Sabian worked his way up from beat cop busting those rackets. If it was the mob, he'd have hung them from the treetops. Besides, you ever hear of a mob hit with a piece of scrap metal? Scrap metal. What was on that manifest again? Uh, two shipments out, one morning, one afternoon. Three deliveries. The first was 9.30, the last 6.45. So there's no way Crandall's car was there all day. He went there for something. But what? Who found the body? A crew coming in to pick up the trash. City crew? Nah, private outfit. They haul a container of industrial waste out of there once a week, nice and regular. Late at night? How did you... You didn't just look at the relevant page in the manifest, did you? So Crandall could have been coming down for something that was in the container. Something that wasn't supposed to go. And someone stabbed him with his own garbage? Why not? Sure, why not? Who and why? Right. Who and why? Okay. I'm gonna hate myself for saying this. Leon Arbor? Loves the other classic motive, isn't it? Relax, Trix. It don't make much sense to hire detectives to catch yourself. But I'm suspicious in nature. You pumped him? While we were dotting the T's on the contract. Didn't take much. Some mutual friends introduced he and Helen two years after the murder. Thank God. We're running in circles here. We can't get any of the original reports or interviews. The partner won't talk to us. We could take Arbor's last dollar and not find the wino. How far can we get without talking to the wife? Nobody talks to the wife. Good afternoon, Lieutenant Sabian. We were just hiding from you. You're doing a pretty lousy job. You're in the bar closest to your office. Give me a little credit. Come to hand out more friendly advice, Sabian? If I thought you were bright enough to take it... Here. That doesn't look like a police file. It's not. It's from my private files, and it's going back there, too. If I can't shake you loose, I may as well let you in the know and hope you've got the sense to see it like I did. Open it. We did. The first thing we found was Sabian's original interview notes. He hadn't been able to talk to the wife right away. The doctor said it was nerves after hearing about her husband's death. He was still chasing the robbery angle, so that was all well and good. Then that fell apart, and he stamped his feet till he got in to see Helen Crandall. It was a week later, and she was made up. But there was no hiding the black eye, the split lip. He could see from the way she babied her right arm that it had been recently sprained at the elbow. The kind of sprain you get when someone twists your arm till it almost snaps. She wouldn't speak, wouldn't look at him. He saw the broken fingernails on her right hand. He didn't have to wonder if they'd match the scratches on her late husband's cheek. He saw the bandages on both wrists. The next thing in the file were copies of Helen Crandall's medical records. The doctor had done for Sabian what Sabian was now doing for us, spelling it all out plain. He'd treated the Crandalls for years. He'd treated her broken wrist the year before, her black eyes, the broken nose six months earlier, both concussions, including the one she almost didn't wake up from, He'd saved her from the suicide attempt after the murder. He laid it all out in the open, because he knew hiding it had never done any good. Crandall drank, and he got ideas. She took it. She covered for him. Then one night he got it in his head that she'd cheated on him, and he did what any reasonable man in his position would have done. He beat his wife to a pulp, threw her in the trunk of his car, and took her to his factory to kill her, and throw her body in a container of scrap due to be picked up that night. 
Finally, she fought back. I doubt she even knew what was in her hand. If you'd seen her then, I've had a few rotten nights for things that I've done. Walking away from the Crandall murder? It ain't one of them. Who knows about this? Nobody that disagrees with me. Except maybe you two. Give me that file. You can't prove any of this. See you in the funny papers. Sabian. Yeah. Drink? I'm on duty. I'll be... You probably will. The problem now is, what do we tell our client? Well, uh, I know you both did your best, but I won't pretend I'm not disappointed. Do you think a little more time... Mr. Arbert, the world's not a pretty place, sir. Sometimes bad things happen for a reason. Sometimes they just happen. Your wife's first husband... The cops never found the killer because it was a random, brutal thing. It just happened. I could look from now till doomsday, but I'd never find your man. It's not like we couldn't use a steady gig. But any detective that tell you different is a shyster. I appreciate that. And for what it's worth, I believe you. I just wish I could have done this one thing for her. Mr. Arbor, we don't know each other well. And I never met Ted Crandall. But from what I've learned in the last week... Sir, even if the day he died was the worst day in her life... I'd say the best was probably the day she met you. You can't fix the past. You're a prince to try, and I wish we could have made it happen for you. But you've got the present and the future to make as bright as you know how. Give her that, Leon. It's all she'd want from you and more than she had before. Thank you, Drixie. Mr. Justice, I will try. Good day, and thank you. They say justice delayed is justice denied. Maybe that was true from Theodore Crandall's point of view, but it seemed to me more justice had been handed out seven years ago than most cops dole out in a lifetime, and we'd only played a small part in that. Leon Arbor went home to his wife. As far as I know, he never tried to solve the case again. And Sabian was right. Of all the things that kept me up at night, the Crandall murder was never one of them. Blackjack Justice, Episode 4, Justice Delayed, was written and directed by Greg Taylor and starred Christopher Mott and Andrea Lyons, with additional voices by Brian Vaughn, Kevin Robinson, Peter Nickel, and Greg Taylor. This recording and the story, characters, and situations depicted within are the property of their author and creator and protected by copyright. Until next time, remember, DecoderRingTheater.com is your address to adventure. You're listening to Mutiny Radio, the Shame Grape Station, with a great new name. Wow, cool. Much <laughs> cool. The new name? What? I thought the radio was talking to me. That's weird. What was weird? This. I'm talking to a podcast. That's impossible. Not really. This is Mutiny Radio. If you're listening, we're listening to Cool. Mutiny Radio, the evolution has begun.
the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have been changed to protect the innocent. Fatima Cigarettes, best of all long cigarettes, brings you Dragnet. You're a detective sergeant. You're assigned to robbery detail. Sixteen persons have been robbed and beaten senseless. The victims describe the assailant as a tall, beautiful woman. Your job, stop her. If you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Fatima is the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. And that's why Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. That's why Fatima has more than doubled its smokers coast to coast. So, if you want a long cigarette, smoke the best of all long cigarettes. Smoke Fatima. Ladies and gentlemen, next week marks the beginning of National Crime Prevention Week sponsored by your local police department. These seven days are set aside to call your attention to the fact that your police officer, to better ensure the safety of your community, relies on the cooperation of the individual citizen. We feel that crime prevention should be observed not seven, but 365 days a year. Dragnet, the documented drama of an actual crime. For the next 30 minutes, in cooperation with the Los Angeles Police Department, you will travel step by step on the side of the law through an actual case from official police files. From beginning to end, from crime to punishment, Dragnet is the story of your police force in action. It was Wednesday, October 3rd. It was warm in Los Angeles. We were working a night watch out of robbery detail. My partner's Ben Romero. The boss is Thad Brown, chief of detectives. My name's Friday. We were on the way over from the city hall, and it was 6.55 p.m. when we got to the county hospital, Ward 9800, room 12. This way, gentlemen. The third bed. Thank you. Here we are. Please try not to excite him, Sergeant. He's had a pretty hard time. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Make your visit as brief as possible. We will. Thanks. Mr. Maloney, how are you feeling? Oh, it's so good. You fellas, doctors? No, sir. Police officers. This is Sergeant Romero. My name's Friday. Robbery detail. Oh, find out anything yet? Still checking, Mr. Maloney. We'd like to have you tell us exactly what happened night before last. Well, she sure had me fooled. That's all I can say. You're not the first one. Fifteen others ahead of you. Would you tell us what happened? Well, I left this shop a little after midnight, and I started to drive home. At Central Avenue. You work at Maloney's Steakhouse down on South Commercial, is that right? Yes, sir. My uncle owns the place. His name's Jay Brown Maloney. He knows a lot of cops. You know him? We met him this afternoon. Could you tell us what happened after you left work? Well, uh, I started to drive home out Central Avenue. I guess it must have been around 18th Street. I pu- uh, would you push that pillow up a little yes, bit? Yes, sir. I'll get it here. Thanks. Nice. I pulled up for the arterial. I saw this gal standing on the corner. She was hitchhiking. Do you remember what she looked like, how she was dressed? Well, you know, kind of 
flashy, but nice clothes. Good-looking dame. Tall, long, blonde hair. Beautiful eyes. You're sure about the color of her hair? Yeah, it was blonde. And you offered her a ride? I didn't think there was anything wrong in it. I, I'm a married man, you know. I didn't think there was anything wrong. What happened then? Well, she got in the car and we drove off. We talked a while and she pulled a gun on me. Told me to drive up an alley. Where was that? Do you remember? Around 32nd Street and 32nd Central. And then what? And she took my wallet, watch, car keys, everything I had. Mm-hmm. And she made me get out of the car, lay down on the street. I felt she shoved that gun again. Can you fix that pillow? Yeah, you bet. Just lie still. There you are. I felt it shove that gun against me, and then she pulled the trigger, I guess. That's all I remember. You know what we call her slugging you? It must have happened after she shot me. Her face looks pretty bad, huh? You'll be all right, Mr. Maloney. You think you'd recognize the girl if you saw her again? I sure would. Nice looking, you know. Tall, blonde, beautiful shape. Doesn't figure, does it? What's that? She'd make more money on the stage than she would rolling guys like me. Must be crazy. Maybe. Would you look at these mug shots, Mr. Maloney, and see if any of these look like her? Let's see. Yeah. Uh, this one? No. Uh, what this one here? No. Let's see. No. Uh, how about this one? No, she was better looking. Uh, well, here's the last one. I don't know. This might be her. The hair was fixed right. Maybe maybe a little more makeup. I'm not sure. All right, Mr. Maloney. Thank you. We'll be back to see you in a day or so when you're feeling better. Okay. Say, my name won't be in the papers, will it? No, sir. Not unless you give it to him. I was just wondering. Her wife might not understand... Giving a girl a ride, you know? Yes, sir, we know. Well, thank you, Mr. Maloney. We'll be checking back with you later on. Okay, officers. I hope you get a line on that dame. We're going to try. Goodbye. Sure messed up, isn't it? Yeah. That dame's got some other motive besides money. Psycho. Some kind of a sadist, maybe. Yeah. <clears throat> Find out what you wanted, Sergeant. Yes, we did. Thanks, nurse. What did the doctor say about Maloney? Is he going to be all right? Well, he had a severe beating, but he'll get over that all right. The bullet wound in the back. He'll recover, won't he? The bullet shattered part of the spinal cord. There was nothing the doctor could do. Yeah? Paraplegia. He'll never walk again. We left the county hospital, went back to the office, and got out a local broadcast for the woman whose mugshot Maloney had partially identified. Her name was Beverly Allen. She had a record of three arrests and one conviction of 240 PC, assault and battery. After we checked in the office, we went across the street to the crime lab. Lee Jones had already examined the bullet taken from Maloney's spine and the cartridge casing found at the scene of the shooting. Both of them bore the same markings as those which had wounded the two previous victims. From the striations, the gun had been previously identified as a 45 Colt. Maloney's car was examined. We found nothing. We went back to the city hall and checked in at the stats office. It was 8.35 p.m.
Hi, Ethel. Make that run for us, yeah? Just a minute, Sergeant. How are you coming, Ethel? Fine here. Same old run. Back seven years on this one. Yeah, that's right. Did you get any more names? Thank you. Let me check the list for you. All right. Why, the names and DR numbers on Caucasian women. Five feet to five feet eight, 115 to 130 pounds, 20 to 30 years, blonde or brunette, assault and battery, M.O. Hitchhikes, rides, and robs drivers, uses gun. Yeah, that's it. Here's what the machine turned out, 19 of them. Good. Here are the names. The uh, DR numbers opposite each one. Fine. Is there any new names? Some more than the last time. Anything else for tonight? No, that's it for now. Thanks a lot, Ethel. Let's go. start. How's that? Well, 17 of these names we checked and cleared already. And the other two? Well, one's Catherine Collins. The other one's Beverly Allen. She might tie in. We've got nothing else to go on. You want to get to the record bureau and pull the packages on these two names? Yeah, okay. I'll check robbery and see if we have any calls. Huh? All right, Joe. Okay. Hi, Captain. Any calls for us? This one, Thad Brown, wants to see you. Oh? Bad mood? Kind of. Wants me, too. Let's go. Did fellow Maloney tell you anything? Nothing that helped much. Same old story. No reports on that broadcast we put out for that Beverly Allen? Not yet? No. You're banking on it? First lead in 16 nights. Hmm. Here we are. Walker, Friday, come in. How are you, boss? Sit down. Thank Take you. a look. Woman bandit gets 16th victim. Beautiful hold-up queen robs, shoots, restaurant worker. Yeah. It's on the editorial page, too. Something else. Memo from the chief. Here. Letter from the downtown citizens committee. Another one, civic club. They all want answers. Men are doing all they can, Chief. We got two other teams besides Friday and Romero working the case. Special squad from Metropolitan Division. They're on it, too. I don't care what we've done. We've got to do more. Sixteen nights, sixteen robberies, and three shootings. Three victims still in the hospital. When do we blow the whistle on it? We've checked out every possible lead, Chief. We've got a warrant out on one suspect. We're checking out another one. Talk to that man, Maloney, the one she got last night. Well, what did he tell you? Well, not much more than the other fifteen that she took. Descriptions still don't match in one respect. Well, how do you mean? Well, in 10 of the 16 cases we've had reported, the victims tagged the girl hitchhiker as a blonde, long hair. Four of them say she was a brunette with a short hairdo. Two of them tell us that the girl had red hair, long. She's using wigs, that's what we figured. Checked every place in town where she could have rented or bought them, no leads. Uh, what about some of the bigger supply houses uh, out of town? We've started in checking them. It'll take a little time. And you've got practically nothing on the woman. Same gun, 45 Colt. Lee Jones examined the bullet they took out of Maloney's spine. Hmm. How's he doing? Not good. Bullet smashed his spinal cord. His legs are paralyzed. When do we stop her? Yeah? Uh, Romero? Hi, Chief. Captain? What have you got? Pulled the packages on two possibles in this woman hold-up thing. It's no good, Joe. Why not? What about that Allen Dane? Jail in Kansas City? I called him. Been in for a month. And the other one? Catherine Collins. I checked Seattle. Been in the hospital up there for the past three months, a TB ward. Where does that leave you, Friday? Right back where we started. No leads and no suspects. All right, Walker. Starting tonight, we cover every street and alley in the central area until we get that woman. We'll order up more men and more detectives from the Metropolitan Division. Right, Chief. Get out more decoy cars. 
Have the area covered from sundown till sunrise until further notice. Get that woman. Right. Come on, Joe. Hot shot. I get it. said William Gillespie. We found him 50 feet from the corner of Gatewood Alley and Cameron Street. His face and head bore the marks of a vicious beating. There was a single bullet wound in his left shoulder. He was conscious when we arrived. Chief of Detectives Brown, Captain Walker, and Ben checked the area for physical evidence. I spoke briefly with the victim before he was placed on a stretcher and carried to the ambulance. On the way, he lapsed into unconsciousness. I went over to where Ben was standing with Chief Brown and Captain Walker. Take a look, Joe. Captain Pond over there near the lamppost. Yeah, 45 shell casing, same as the others. How's Gillespie, Friday? Doc says he'll be all right. Badly beaten. Tough dame. She really works him over. wonder what makes a woman do things like this. What makes a man do it? William Gillespie was taken to Georgia Street Receiving Hospital. The shell casing, which we had found at the scene, was taken to Lee Jones at the crime lab for examination. It compared with the others. Jones confirmed that the markings on the bullet which had wounded Gillespie matched those on the bullet which had been taken from Maloney's bag. Both bullets had been fired from the same gun. The dragnet operation for the woman bandit went on. The men in the special detail covered every street and alley in the central area from 8 p.m. to 6 a.m. the following morning. During the next five days, 11 suspects were picked up and brought in for questioning and then released after the victims failed to identify any of them. Well, at least we got her stopped temporarily. She hasn't pulled a caper for almost a week. You know, it doesn't bring us any closer to her. I don't know about you, but it's got me beat. Seventeen jobs, and she's as free today as she was before she started. Joe, Ben, what'd you find? Nothing. Last four women we questioned were clear. What about the other men on the case, Ed? Did they get anything? Baxter and Olson are down at the record bureau. Be in in a minute. They've been out talking to some of the victims again. Tough one. I've been thinking, how about a composite picture? We got enough to work with. Artists in the crime lab's working up a couple of sketches now. No. A lot of guesswork. What about the descriptions of the clothes the girl wears? Anything there we could start on? No, other than the fact that she wears flashy clothes. Hi, Olson. Hi. Any luck? Not much. None of the victims have a very good idea what the dame looked like. Tall, good-looking, nice figure, that's all. Nothing out of the ordinary, huh? Well, some of them said she had kind of an unusual voice. Soft, low... About all I could remember. Well, not much help. She's been described in three different outfits, is that right? Yeah, green dress with a pink coat, white dress, dark blue jacket, bright red sweater, and a brown skirt. Always carries a dark brown alligator handbag. Shoes to match, no hat. Not much of a wardrobe, is it? Maybe that's why she took up robbery. Now, look, let's get on this thing. We've been chasing this woman for almost a month now, and she's still got the run of the town. How long's it going to take us? If we only had a lead that was worth some. Find it. It's there someplace. I've never reached a thief yet without digging for him. I'll get it. Robbery Olson. Yeah, right, Andy. I'll tell him. Anderson and burglar Joe wants to see you and Ben. Thanks. Captain? That's all. Come on, Ben. Yeah. I'd like a day off, wouldn't you? We'll get one when we get this dame. Right, Ed. This thing isn't doing much for the skipper. It's not doing much for our time off either, is it? That fire department's got the racket. 24 hours on, 24 off. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they get three days off in a row. That's what you keep telling me. Here we are. Joe, Ben. Andy, what do you got? 
checking back on a job out in Hollywood. Heard you were having troubles, came across this thing, thought it might help you out. What's that, Ann? One of the picture studios had a burglary about a month ago. Thief got in the wardrobe department, then next door in the makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's see. Uh, here's some of the stuff taken. Dress, coat. Oh, here you can read it. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Red sweater, brown skirt. I look down here, Joe. Where? Right, right here. Oh, yeah. Took two makeup kits and four wigs. Two blondes, one redhead, one brunette. That's it. Any leads on this job? Not so far, no. We got one thing to go on, a single footprint, size nine. Mm. It's pretty large size for a woman. I didn't say it was a woman. Print was made by a man's shoe. You are listening to Dragnet, authentic stories of your police force in action. It's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. Those words are echoing across the country. Yes, Fatima has more than doubled its sales because Fatima smokers are telling their friends it's wise to smoke extra mild Fatima. And why? Because Fatima contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make Fatima extra mild. So for a much different, much better flavor and aroma, smoke Fatima. popular misconceptions of the working detective as offered by the fiction writers is the picture of a man with amazing talents for detecting evidence, analyzing human behavior and motives, and then, almost as if by magic, fitting all the pieces together to form the solution of the crime. The real-life picture is a little different. The working detective has a job. In a sense, it's a practical and down-to-earth job as baking bread or practicing law. It's his job to protect citizens and apprehend criminals, and it's a job he doesn't do alone. To assist him in collecting and analyzing evidence, he has the aid of the crime laboratory. To help him identify oddities and suspects, or possible suspects, he has the record bureau, latent fingerprints, the statistician's office, the ballistics department, a battery of men and machines to aid him in reaching conclusions based on fact. Tuesday, October 9th, 9 p.m. For the past eight hours, Thaxter and Olson from robbery and Ben and I had been requesting all of the 16 victims of the woman bandit. We asked them one question. Could their assailant possibly have been a man dressed as a woman? The majority didn't think so. Those that did weren't very sure. We followed the lead through. At 9.25 p.m., we checked in and headed down the hall for the stats office. Do you think it was a man dressed as a woman? I don't know. One male footprint. Where do you slam on? Maybe the machines here can tell us. Hello, Sergeant. Back again, Ethel. Can you make a run for us tonight? 9.25. Sure, I think so. Now here's the dope right here. I'm going to try another angle, huh? Yeah. Let's see. Male occasion. About 5 feet 8 or 9, 130, 235 pounds. Feminine features. Size 9 shoe. Impersonating women, robbery, and assault. That's it. Mm-hmm. Arms, 45 automatic. M.O. Hitchhikes, rides, and robs drivers. How soon do you think you can have for us? Well, you make the run on the collator. Have to punch up the master first with all this information. And let the machine work the cards. I don't think I'll have it for you much before 11, that mm, all right? Fine, yeah. We'll check back a little before 11 then, huh? They'll be ready. Good. Come on, Ben. Did you call your wife after dinner? Yeah. Wish I hadn't. She's mad as a hornet. What's the matter? 
Kid's having a birthday party tomorrow, and I forgot to order the cake. What's she going to do for the party? Bake one? She have to. Then she pulled this gun on me and told me to stop the car. Well, I'm telling you, Captain, I just grabbed that gun and slapped that kid just as hard as Hold I could. Hold it just a minute, will you, please, mm-hmm. Collins? This man's name is Emil Collins. Mr. Collins, this is Sergeant Friday, Sergeant Romero. How are you? How do you do? How are you? I was just telling the captain here, I'm down here on a vacation. I'm from Sacramento, South Sacramento. I was driving down your Figueroa Street about half an hour ago and picked up this girl hitching a ride and she tried to rob me. Collins took the gun away from her, subdued the girl and brought her in. Where is she now? Interrogation room. Baxter and Olson are with her. The description match? Not too close. Sounds like you didn't have too much trouble with her, Mr. Collins. Well, now that I come to think of it, maybe I didn't. When she pointed that gun, I just grabbed for it and slapped her as hard as I could. So it took the starch out of her. Who is the girl? Any identification? None. Baxter and Olson haven't been able to get anything out of her. You want to try? Sure. What do you think, Skipper? You tell me. See if you can make it talk. I'll have a stenographer take Mr. Collins' report. Okay. Glad to meet you, Mr. Collins. That's a pleasure. I'm only down here for a vacation, but if you need me, just call. You bet we will. Thanks. How do you figure them? I don't know. Let's see what the girl has to say. Olson? Joe, I want to talk to you before you go in. Sure. Did you finally get her to talk? Well, Baxter did. Pretty sure she's not the one we're after. Well, what's her story? Said she read about this wounded bandit in the paper, decided to try her hand at it, needed money. Yeah. Claims her husband left her. She's pregnant, needs the dough for a hospital. She live here? Off the coast, Monterey. Got in town four days ago, staying at the YWCA. We checked there. She's not lying. You call Monterey? Yeah, they confirmed it. She left there last Wednesday night. She's not the one. Where do we go from here? You'll take care of having a book, huh, Olson? Yeah, as soon as we get to stay. Okay, fine. Friday, Ben, this way. Hustle You too, Olson. What do you got, Ed? Fourth and Lucas, 211 shooting. Let's go. Any detail? Yeah. A tall blonde with a gun. Come on. The woman bandit's 18th victim was a truck driver. His name, Harry Reese. His story differed a little from that of the first victim. The woman was hitchhiking near Alvarado and 3rd Street. He gave her a ride. She robbed him at gunpoint, slugged him, and then shot him through the left shoulder. He described her as tall, blonde, attractive, and well-dressed. Guess I should have known better. Remember reading about the dame in the papers. You're sure that the person who held you up was a woman? Hmm? Ah, I don't get you. What he means is you don't think it could have been a man dressed like a woman. Oh, no, I'm sure of that. Guy ever looked that good to me. All right, Mr. Reese. We'll check with you later at the hospital. Okay. We're keeping that truck cleared? Yeah, Holson's got a couple of men watching it. He's going over it. Same old story. Just another version. Don't you think she's spreading it pretty thin? Her luck can't last forever. She's got me beat. How she always manages to disappear without a trace. Yeah. Now, Ben, this way, over here. Yeah, okay. What do you got? Better hustling. Four blocks down on Colfax to shooting. Just came in on the car radio. Let's go. Slide over, Jim. Yeah. Okay, hit the sign, Ben. Yeah. The crowd watching. All right, Skiver. That all that came over, Ben, a shooting? All they said, see the cab driver, ambulance shooting. He's working real fast. What's the address for now? Third and East Flower Hotel. Hold on. This is it coming up. Should be to the right here. Yeah, take a right. That must be it up ahead. I can't see. What's that sign say? Edgemar Hotel for young women. There's a cab driver. Well, right over here. Hey. 
Looks like blood stains to me here all over the sidewalk. Yeah, I guess it couldn't have happened any more than five or ten minutes ago. I had this fare, see, picked her up at 4th and Bixel, and I, I drove her here. She she paid the fare and got out. Yeah, go on. I was about halfway down the block when I heard a shot. At least it sounded like one. When I looked back, this dame was down on one knee near the door to the hotel here, and by the time I backed up her, she was gone. And you noticed the blood, huh? Like, that's right, yeah, I figured I'd better call somebody. Can you tell us what the girl looked like? Oh, not bad at all. Blonde, tall, pretty girl, nervous. But you didn't see where she went? Uh, no, but I didn't. I'll get the driver's name and address. Joe, you and Van, see if you can follow that trail. Stuff's all over the place. Right. Go over this way, Ben. Yeah. It's not hard to follow. Mm-hmm. Down this alley between the buildings. How does this figure? I don't know. Let's find out. Mm, here we go. All the way back here. You got your flashlight? Oh, yeah. Yeah, here it is. Yeah, yeah this way. Come on. Hmm. This must be the rear of the hotel. Well, look, the stains lead over this way to the back door here. And let, let me try. Right. Okay, inside. Still following? Yeah. Careful. Up these stairs. stairs here. Let's go. I just happened to think this is a woman's hotel. And they ought to keep the back door closed. Come on. Third floor. Let's hold it. What is it? Oh, I saw a door open down the hall. See anybody? No. Let's go. This way. Easy trail to follow. They stop here at this door. Uh, that doesn't sound like a woman. Uh, yeah, you ready? Yeah, try the door first. Yeah. Easy. Uh, yeah, it's locked. All right, come on, together uh, now. Let's hit it. Yeah, right. Watch it, Joe! All right, you. Uh, I got the gun. Yeah. Well, we found what we came for. Look. Still got the clothes on. Blonde wig, makeup, everything. Please, help me. My leg. Call an ambulance. It's on the way. Take it easy. Have a look, Joe. The wigs, full makeup, kit, clothes, living in a woman's hotel. The worst. It was an accident. You never would have got me. I dropped the gun. It went off. You never would have got me. Yeah, that's right, mister. It was an accident. You better get the boss in here. I'll stay with Glamour Boy. Yeah, okay. And Ben. Yeah? Leave the door open, will you? House rules. story you have just heard was true. Only the names were changed to protect the innocent. On January 14th, trial was held in Superior Court, Department 79, City and County of Los Angeles, State of California. In a moment, the results of that trial. It's amazing how many long cigarette smokers are changing to Fatima. Here is the actual report. From coast to coast, Fatima has more than doubled its smokers. Yes, more and more smokers every day are discovering that Fatima is the best of all long cigarettes. Smokers find Fatima has a much different, much better flavor and aroma than any other long cigarette. They find that Fatima is extra mild because it's the long cigarette which contains the finest Turkish and domestic tobaccos superbly blended to make it extra mild. Enjoy extra mild Fatima yourself. 
best of all long cigarettes. The welfare and security of your home and your family is a subject of national importance next week, National Crime Prevention Week. The efficiency of your local police department is dependent upon your attitude toward your police officer. Not just one week out of the year, but every day in the year. He wants your cooperation. He needs your cooperation for the enforcement of your laws. Help your officer to help you to live in a peaceful, orderly community. National Crime Prevention Week costs you nothing, just your cooperation. James Harold Sutter, alias the Bandit Queen, was tried and convicted on several counts of assault with attempt to commit murder and robbery of the first degree. He was sentenced to the term prescribed by law. While serving his time in the state penitentiary, he was stabbed to death by another inmate. You have just heard Dragnet, a series of authentic cases from official files. Technical advice for Dragnet comes from the office of Chief of Police, W.A. Wharton, Los Angeles Police Department. Fatima Cigarettes, the best of all long cigarettes, has brought you Dragnet from Los Angeles. Here, Morton Downey, tonight on NBC. a man with a bad heart. A telephone number scribbled on a cash register receipt and a corpse on the other side of town. But I couldn't see the connection between them until I realized that they were all tied together by the same long rope worth $30,000. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character as CBS presents The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Long Rope. I'd finally wound up a sour case in which I'd been kicked around, disillusioned, and shortchanged. And in my book, a routine like that calls for relaxation. So I'd spent the morning sleeping and the afternoon in a Turkish bath, being worked over on the table by Nick Takalakis, a non-talking masseur who untied knots in more muscles than I thought I had. He was trying to tear loose my Achilles tendon when the phone rang. It was for me. Nick wouldn't let me up, so I took it lying down. Yeah? Marlowe speaking. My name is Sidney Vanetta, Mr. Marlowe. I've tried all afternoon to reach you. Oh? Nick. What can I do for you, Mr. Vanetta? I've already made your reservation with American Airlines. You're leaving on the 10 o'clock plane tonight. 
And you're taking with you a set of pearls for a certain buyer in Chicago. Now, wait a minute, Mr. Veneta. Maybe I can... No, maybe, Marlowe. I've checked thoroughly on you and find you entirely qualified, which is important because the pearls are a perfectly matched set in a rope valued at about $30,000. The buyer wants them, and I made up my mind just this morning to sell. The proceeds will go to my niece. Lucky girl. Indeed she is, particularly since I have no respect for her as a woman. She presumes to be a sculptress of all things, but she's my only heir. I'm selling the pearls simply because I know she would, and I can get more for them. Yeah, I... Ooh! Hey, Nick, wait a minute, will you? Why all the hurry, Mr. Veneta? First, the buyer is leaving Chicago tomorrow. Second, my heart may fail me at any moment. That's the hurry, Mr. Marlowe. I see. Well, I'll take the job, uh, conditionally. But suppose I come out and talk with you. Telephones are deceptive. Very well. Come to 7241 Adams, just below Western. I'll expect you in an hour, at 6, sharp. Side door will be open, so let yourself in. Sounds like you're alone out there. I am. I just fired my nurse, a Miss Drew, and as stupid a woman as the earth was ever cursed. But <coughs> well, I shouldn't get excited about it. I've engaged a new one due here at 5.30, but who will no doubt be late. So as I say, Marlowe, when you get here, just let yourself in. Goodbye. Bye. Well, Nick, you better hurry it up. I gotta see a man about a rope worth 30 grand. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A rope worth $30,000. Benetta's place on Adams was a big, fancy, and dirty gray place. Forty years ago, it had been a proud, expensive house. But now it squatted at the back end of a rundown yard like a bitter old man too tired to move. I found the side door unlocked and went in. The hallway was dusky and had the odor of moldy wool. I called Vanetta's name but got no answer. So I poked on in until I heard the snapping of an open fire. It came from the library. A big chair was drawn up in front of the fireplace and there Vanetta sat. His chin sunk deep in his chest and his eyes closed. I coughed but he didn't hear me so... I stepped close and shook him gently by the shoulder. Mm -hmm. All it took was a gentle shake. He sagged forward and poured out of the chair like stiff syrup. Mr. Veneta was dead. I started for the phone to report the body, but then I heard gravel crunch in the driveway. Someone else was coming in that side door, so I stepped out into the hall and waited. Mr. Veneta, it's... Uh... Oh. Who are you? Philip Marlowe. Who are you? Steve Temple. I'm Mr. Vanetta's business agent. You're on business now? Yes, I am. It's all the same to you. I came to see Mr. Vanetta regarding some pearls. So if you'll excuse me. Oh. Yeah, the pearls can wait. Their owner's dead. So it finally happened, huh? You're taking the news very well, Temple. I've been expecting it every day for five years. You found him, I suppose? Mm-hmm. We had an appointment at 6. He wanted me to fly his pearls to Chicago. Uh, what are you staring at, Tim? Why, uh, this uh, bottle of medicine here. What about it? For years, he's kept this stuff beside him in case of an attack. Yet, when he actually needed it, it was over here on the sideboard out of his reach. <laughs> Ironic, isn't it? Very. He fired Miss Drew, his old nurse, today and didn't expect a new one until 5.30. Say, do you happen to know her name? No one. You mean uh, he's engaged a new nurse? That's right. She's an hour late already. Yeah. Well, for once, that doesn't matter to Mr. Veneta. Hey, Temple, are you acquainted with his niece? Vivian Russell? Mm-hmm. Of course. She's a sculptress. The studio out on Fountain, uh, near Bronson, I believe. 
He was to get the proceeds from the pearls. Well, I assumed that, although nothing was ever said. He's his only heir. Mm. Where would those pearls be now? I kept them in a wall safe behind that picture there, consistently against my advice. Yeah, sure. Hmm, opens with a key. Where would that be? Well, he carried it with him on his watch chain. Why? Now, what are you going to do? I'll take a look at the pearls, and then have them impounded. Yeah, this must be the key. Now, let's open it up. Who's there in that uh, velvet case? As big as an overnight bag. Must be some string of beads. It is, Marlowe. Here, let me open it. There. Right. It's nothing but tissue paper. Yeah. It's not too surprising. While Temple called the police and tried to keep the details straight on a natural death and an unnatural theft, I went over the room again with a new viewpoint. All that turned up without an easy explanation was one, a cash register receipt for $1.34 with the phone number Republic 2809 penciled on the back. And two, the peculiar position of Mr. Veneta's medicine bottle, which Temple had already noticed. I dropped the receipt in my pocket and told Temple to wait for the law. He gave me his home address and phone number, and I promised to check in with him later and left. The first stop was a phone booth where I dug into the nurse's registries and hit pay dirt on the fourth call. Miss Drew? Yes, we have a Miss Drew. Is she the one who worked for Mr. Sidney Veneta but was fired this afternoon? That's his opinion. Actually, Miss Drew quit. All right, have it your way. Where can I get in touch with her? She's right here where she's been since 3 o'clock this afternoon. What is the nature of your business, sir? Never mind. You've already answered my question. Uh, but look, Mr. Veneta hired another nurse to replace Miss Drew. Is the new girl one of yours? Absolutely not. Mr. Veneta will never get another nurse from this registry or from any other that I know of. You're so right. He's utterly impossible to please in any way, and we're through trying. Goodbye. Well, Miss Drew was in the clear, and Veneta began to focus as a pretty odd Johnny. But I was still trying to figure why the new nurse hadn't shown up when I reached for a cigarette and brought out the cash register receipt with the phone number on the back. So I tried it. Republic 2809. It rang, but nothing happened. I got in my car then and drove up to Hollywood and out Fountain to Bronson, where the only Veneta heir, Miss Vivian Russell, had a studio. It was a converted double garage with a lot of north windows, so her new close-to-the-ground Hudson sat outside in the driveway. The adjoining four-room apartment looked cozy enough, if you like wading through chunks of marble and eating off of last week's newspaper. Yeah, I was braced for a dowdy Amazon with broken fingernails as I rang the bell. That's why the dainty 118 pounds of taboo-scented blonde who was clad in ten chartreuse yards of whispering silk cut like lounging pajamas caught me as flat-footed as a duck when she opened the door. Hi. Did you want something? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> My name is Marlowe. I'd like to speak to Miss Vivian Russell. You are. So go ahead and enjoy yourself, Marlowe. Uh... May I come inside? I have some bad news, Miss Russell. Oh, oh, sure. Come on in. Now, uh, shall I sit down or just hang on to something? Suit yourself. Your uncle, Mr. Veneta, died this afternoon. Oh, his heart finally gave up, did it, huh? Yeah, yeah, but you shouldn't go all to pieces like that, Vivian. Now, wait. He meant nothing to me, but I'm glad his suffering is over. The pearls are missing, too. Well, really? What happened to them? They were stolen. And don't tell me that means nothing to you, because you're getting the money, 30,000 bucks worth. What? Uncle Sidney intended to give me the money from those pearls? How do you know that? I'm a private detective, he told me. He was my client. Oh, then you're out of a job. 
Say, how would you like to work for me, Marla? I I'm serious. Now I want those pearls back, you know. Well, for 25 a day in expenses, it's a deal. Now, you tell me something. Who did your uncle hire today to replace Miss Drew? The nurse. Hmm. Why, I didn't even know Miss Drew had been fired. How did you know she didn't quit? With Uncle Sidney? <laughs> Try me again. Republic, 2809. That doesn't mean a thing. Hmm. You know, Marlowe, you've got an awfully good head. Are you speaking as a sculptress or just an ordinary chiseler? And what is that crack supposed to mean? You didn't know you were getting the money legally. You might have taken the pearls yourself. Oh, stop it, Marlowe. Okay, client. Well, I'll run along. I've got work to do. All right, but uh, don't forget that all work and no play makes for a dull companion. Yes, and it also makes 25 bucks a day. <laughs> I'll be seeing you. All the way down Sunset to Vine Street, I kept telling myself a buck's a buck regardless. But the idea that I'd been grabbed at stayed with me. Vivian Russell had plenty of motive as a dry land pearl diver, and if that's true, she'd need a patsy just to keep her abreast of the situation. I turned north on Vine and twisted up Beachwood Drive to 2000, the number Steve Temple had given me. He had had two hours of playing 20 questions policeman style, and I figured it was time to check his score. Also, Temple was the man to fill in a few blanks on my new client for me. His place was dark, but I got out anyway and started up the walk to his door. legs, and by the time I untangled myself from the brush and got out on the walk again, he was gone. Well, I knew it was a waste of time, but I tried Temple's doorbell twice before I went back to my car. Nothing made sense, except that somebody who knew his way around had stolen a long rope of pearls, and somewhere in the city was a nurse who hadn't shown up on a new job. Beyond that, it was all question marks. Well, I drove down to the filling station on the corner and went inside to the phone. I started to call police headquarters, but instead... Drop the nickel in and dial Republic 2809 again. Just on a hunch. Attorney Barra speaking. Ibarra? I didn't dial you, Ibarra. What? This is Marlo. Well, you got me anyway. Well, listen, Phil, I hear you're on that Veneti case. Yeah. If it'll help you any, the car in says... <laughs> Don't you do what you want to me Why do you do it in front of my face I feel so bad You'll never know how Could be that time is an enemy I've got those times that I want to erase Meanwhile you flow All over this globe And if it feels like you've heard this before I'm sure you did I'm sure you did We have to grieve, we have to leave Could be that time is a friend to me Why don't you do it in front of my face Before we're old, chase around the globe And if it feels like you've heard this before I'm sure you did 
Me llamo. You got it. Cool. Woo! You're welcome. I'm here all night. Yeah.
in a picture copy. 